Good morning. As we continue to worship our awesome God, I just encourage you to open your Bibles with me as we're in John chapter 1. We'll be in John chapter 1, verses 29 to 28, or sorry, 19 to 28, not 29. That's next week uh, with Pastor Matt. <clears throat> but as you turn there, let me ask you uh, a question. Do you know what your life is for? Do you know the purpose of your life? I think if anything this virus, this COVID, this pandemic thing has really shown us is that a lot of people are searching to understand that very question. Why? Just the whys. The whys of life. What, what, what is my purpose? Why am I here? Because when all of the things that you've based your identity on begin to be taken away from you, let's say going to work or going to school or anything else, you begin to ask that very question, why? What is my purpose? And as we look into John chapter 1, verses eight or 19 to 28, we see here a man, again, we're introduced, we have already been introduced to John the Baptist, and, and John, the, John, the writer of the Gospel of John, he comes back and he spends a little bit more time introducing to us more about this man named John the Baptist. But as we do that, follow along with me. John chapter 1, verses 19 to 28. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask, Who are you? He confessed, and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, in verse 24, now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing? If you are, not, if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor a prophet. And John answered them, I baptize with water. But among you stands one who, who you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. And this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for this opportunity, this chance to continue to worship you. Lord, I, I, I am so thankful for the opportunity to gather with your people here. To worship you through the singing, through the reading and the preaching of your word and through even communion. God, even as I stand here, I think of all those churches, my brothers, our brothers and our sisters, and in towns and cities like Toronto who are unable to gather. Lord, how will we take this for granted? So Lord, I pray as we continue to worship you through the preaching of the word, I pray indeed that you are glorified. That, has, that as has been prayed, Lord, that you would take our eyes off of our circumstances and point them to you. So dear Lord, I want to preach so that you are glorified. And I want to speak of you and praise you and praise your name. And God, I can't do this. I can't do this without you. So Lord, by your spirit, help me to preach this sermon with what is needed. 
Use this sermon of God for your glory, to bring joy to your people, and to call people to yourself. And amen. John chapter 18. In this few verses, in John chapter 19, sorry, to 23, we see that John knew who he was. There's two questions that are essentially asked uh, to John the Baptist from these people who were sent by the religious leaders. And these two questions, and the first one is, who are you? And I would be asking the same thing if I saw a guy dressed up in like hair and eating locusts and honey. That's how John is physically described. And he's out there in the desert on the other side of the Jordan and people are flocking to him. It's a 45-minute car ride to get from Jerusalem to where he's at right now and crossing a river. Like these are dedicated people. And people are flocking to him. So I would have some questions too. They're legitimate. What's with this crazy looking guy and why is he baptizing all these people? But this is that first thing that we're introduced to in verses 19 to 23. John knew who he was. And in verse 19, he says, and this is the testimony of John. What was his testimony? We just need to simply go back to verse 7 to see that. His testimony was he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He understood who he was. And when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask this, there were some questions about who John was. Who are you? Why are you doing this? What's your mission? What's your purpose? What are you here to do? And I love what happens here in verse 20. He confessed, he says. He confessed and did not deny, but confessed. There's a huge emphasis that begins here. This is important. See, witnessing throughout Christianity has been vital. And here the writer, John, the writer, is emphatic about what John the Baptist is doing. He's witnessing of who Jesus is. And John comes, or John the Baptist, he comes and he says emphatically, I am not the Christ. John is not the Messiah or anyone else. He, he is not the one who can save. Only Jesus is the one who can save. He is simply the one who prepares the way, as he says later on. He has been sent from God as a giant pointer to the one who can save, the one who is the light of the world. So even though all of these people are flocking to him, they're, they're, they're walking like two days to get to him, going through so much danger, he points people to Jesus and points them to who he is. And in verse 20, in 21, he says, I am not Elijah. This is a, 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 he's literally not Elijah. As Malachi verses four to, or chapter 4, verse 5 talks about, Malachi actually predicts or prophesies, sorry, prophesies that there will be a man, that Elijah will come and will do these very things. He is not literally Elijah. He is John the Baptist. But he's coming for this purpose of pointing people to Jesus. He is not a prophet like we see in Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 to 18. That, but, God, but God will raise somebody else who's not, who is another person who is like Moses. And he will declare again, over and over again, about who Jesus is. John is emphatic. I am not these things. But let me tell you about who 
is. In verse 22, they ask him again and again and again. You know, these questions have to ask yourself. You have to ask yourself as you're reading these questions, what is this showing about the heart of these people? As, as these Pharisees and these religious leaders sent these group of people to go ask John this very question, well, who are you? It shows the extent they were looking for someone to come and deliver them. The environment in the first century was full of this messianic expectation. They were, they were full of waiting for the one that had been prophesied, that had been promised, the Messiah of the Old Testament. And they see a man that looks like it and is kind of doing some of the same things. He's saying some of the kind of same things. And he's, they're wondering, right? Well, is he Jesus? Is he the Messiah? And John says, No. John points to the one who is the light of the world. He doesn't point them to anything else but Jesus. There's no gimmicks. There's no wise words of sage wisdom. There's no cliches. He says Jesus. And he describes who he is in turn, as he says in verse 21. He says, I'm just simply the one in the wilderness crying out, prepare the way of the Lord. John is the person who's fulfilling the promise that we see in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 30. John is the person preparing the way for the long-awaited Messiah, Jesus Christ. He wasn't, he wasn't Jesus himself. He wasn't the light himself. He was witnessing of the light. He wasn't the man that they should admire or trust for salvation, but he pointed to the one who was. John understood who he was. Elijah is mentioned not only because Israel expected someone to come in the spirit of Elijah that we saw back in Malachi, but also because he is a representative of all of Israel's prophets, all of the prophets in the Old Testament who were prophesying and pointing to Jesus who would come in the New Testament. This is why Moses and Elijah appear together later on when we see in Matthew 17 with the transfiguration as Jesus is on this mountain and he's and he's chilling, and Peter once again says something very stupid. And, you know, Jesus is gracious to that. The whole Old Testament, the whole Old Testament, from Genesis all the way to the end, the law represented by Moses and the prophets, represented by Elijah, points towards and is fulfilled by Jesus. And John the Baptist takes every opportunity to point to the one who is the light of the world. John understood who he was. John understood who he was. And he was the one who testified of the light. No part of him was about shining light on himself. He didn't care about himself. He reflected the light of the one who is the light of the world into the darkness of his world. He was simply a candle bringing the light into this dark, dark world. See, my job, yes, I'm a pastor, but my job as a Christian is to witness of the Savior, not to make myself the Savior. And in order to do that, I need to know who I am in Christ, to proclaim Christ. 
you know, you have to know who Christ is. If you want to grow in your love and admiration of the one who saved you, get into his word and learn about who he is and what he has done for you. And you will just sit there and flipping each page and be in awe of what God has done because he has done great and marvelous things. My job is the witness of the Savior. And this is what John did. He, he knew who he was. And I, I get that our lives can attract people. I get that people can be attracted to you because, I don't know, you're charismatic or uh, you're talented or you're super nice or something. I get that. But the danger is that we would allow them to focus their admiration on us. And John comes around, and he's insistent, he's emphatic, and he says, I am not the Christ. I am not Elijah. I am not these things. I am the one who's in the wilderness declaring that Jesus is coming. If you are in Christ, you have a job. Your job is not to have people admire you. Your job is to to have and encourage people to admire the one who can save. Yes, you are in Christ. If you are in Christ, you are loved. Yes, if you are in Christ, you are forgiven. Yes, if you are in Christ, you are secure. In Christ, we have been adopted. Yes, we have been justified. Yes, we've been redeemed. Yes, we've been reconciled. Yes, you've been chosen. In Christ, we are victorious, filled with joy and peace and granted true meaning in life. But none of this has to do with you, but what the amazing Savior has done for you. So your job is to go and tell other people about what Christ has done for you. Let us point people to the light of the world and just declare how marvelous, how magnificent he is. Because he has done great things. We just celebrated communion we sit here and we reflect upon all that God has done. Does your witness bring attention to you or to the one who saved you? Can you answer who you are? John could. And that sent him to boldly reflect the light of the world. It is because I understand more and more about who I am in Christ that I can go out into this world and declare who he is. Because my identity is no longer found in the fact that someone likes me or not. Because let me tell you, if you're going to go tell other people that they're a bunch of sinners, they're going to hate you. Even if you tell them the full gospel, that Christ died for their sins and rose again. People don't like being told that they're wrong. I don't like it. You can ask my wife. I hate it. But if my identity is in Christ, it sends me out. Do you think about this? When you meet someone whose life is a mess, and there are a ton of people, myself included, whose lives can be a mess. If you come here and tell me you got it all together, you're lying. If you see those people who need hope, or meaning, or peace, do you remember that you can't give those things? Yes, we seek to help in Jesus' name, but people need Jesus. Yes, we go out and, and we, we, we give Christmas hampers and we help people uh, with physical needs. Yes, we do those things, but they need Jesus. They need him. Look around. 
You or me are not the answer to people's needs. What I can do are not the answers to people's needs. If you really want to help someone, you must point to the person that is not you, who is not a human savior. You need to point them away from human saviors and and, and other programs or human spiritual solutions and point him or her to Jesus Christ who can alone save. And that's what John does. Look, look at the world around you. Twice this week, there was articles out in the news. One earlier this week was in Japan. And, and in Japan, the suicide rate this month is higher than all of the COVID deaths. All of them. Just this month. In Canada... Article last yesterday, one in ten Canadians have contemplated suicide last month. This isn't all year, last month. My goodness, guys, people are in desperate need. And we have the light. We have it. We're looking for all sorts of things to give only what Jesus can give. And we need to point people to that and call them to repentance and to rest in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Our world is broken. We have family members who are broken. We have our neighbors who are broken. Co-workers that are broken. And one in ten people, I know you all know more than that many people in your life. We need people. Point them to Jesus. And we need to act like it. Our hope isn't in a vaccine. There's always going to be another virus. Our hope is in the light of the world. And let us point people to that. John's witness was to be the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the the Lord. It should be ours too. We should say, I am here to show that you need a Savior and to point to Jesus as the one you should worship and trust. We were created for a purpose, to glorify God. The chief end of man is to glorify God. That is the chief end. In our world, everyone is trying to figure out what their purpose and what their life, and they try to fill it in with everything else but who God is. This isn't new. Right? This isn't something that's getting more prevalent in our society. Our society has always had this problem. We were created to worship and let us point people to the one whom they should worship and whom they should trust. It's because John understood who he was that he was able to be bold in his mission. As we will see later on, John's mission eventually got his head chopped off. See, John knew his mission, as we see in verses 24 to 28. As he continues on here, Now they had been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him, you can kind of see the frustration in their voice, And they asked him, Then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? Legitimate question. Again. Uh, And then he goes on in verse 26. He comes, he says, I baptize with water, but among you stands one 
you do not know. But John takes a question about why is he baptizing, and with like this amazing laser focus, he points to the greatness of the one who they should admire. John takes this question about why he baptizes it and, he, and turns it into an opportunity to speak of the greatness of the one who, is, who, doesn't, who he doesn't even deserve to serve by untying his shoes. And by baptizing, we've got to understand a little bit of what's happening here. This isn't the baptism that we do here, where people profess their faith in Jesus Christ. But this is a confessing of their sins also. It is their, they're, they're, they're enacting their repentance. It was a, a, a preparation for the true Savior. But at the same time, in verse 26, it says, You do not know, as John says. You do not know him, just like the light was unknown and unreceived in verses 10 and 11. What an amazing laser-like focus on his mission to testify of the light. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. I was thinking about this, about how often I can get so distracted by other things. But John uses every opportunity, John the Baptist uses every opportunity in his life to point people to Jesus. It was a laser-like focus. And as we continue on in verse, in verse 27, he says this, He who comes after me, the straps of whose sandal I am not worthy essentially not good enough to untie. I'm not suitable to untie. See, John the Baptist is, stresses the exalted status of Jesus so highly that he is unworthy even to do the most lowest task of unstrapping his sandal. This was the task of a servant. And John says, Jesus is so much greater than I am that I'm not even worthy of doing that. But in the undertone is, but I'm thankful that I can even do that. It would be like saying, I am unworthy of cleaning Jesus' toilet. Right? Our feet are pretty clean. No matter what your phobia is of feet, our feet are pretty clean. Not back in Jesus' day. But not even that, John says, I am worthy to do. And why would John be so humbled by this? Why is he so humbled as he's confronted with Jesus? His attitude comes from his understanding of who Jesus is. If you want to grow in humility more, know more about who Jesus is. Dwell on the facts of who he is. I remember in grade 10, my parents had this... Uh, I've been blessed because I've been able to see both coasts. I've, I've dipped my feet in both coasts, both oceans of this marvelous country that God has blessed us with. And I remember uh, in grade 10, my parents, at the time I didn't like it because it was going to be a month-long trip with my family, which was like, eh. But as I was going there, as we were driving through the prairies, as we were closer, getting closer and closer to the coast, you know what begins to pop up in the uh, horizon? The mountains. Which is crazy because you're like, maybe it's an hour away. No. Like, these mountains are huge, and it takes a long time to finally get to the foot of them. 
And as we're traveling along the, the, the prairies and we're driving there, if you've ever done this, it's a magnificent drive as, as it looks like almost the Rockies are kind of growing out of the, out of the ground. And, they, and it gets bigger and bigger. And it was an amazing thing. As I think about that, as, as I get closer and closer to Jesus, the more magnificent he gets, the more bigger he gets, the more I grow in the grace and the knowledge of him. It's like I'm like Lucy from Prince Caspian. If you remember Prince Caspian, who notices that Aslan has become bigger to her, it's like this quick little line in there. If, you don't, if you're not paying attention, you miss it. As she becomes more aware of who Aslan is, Aslan becomes bigger. See, Jesus is the perfect man and one and only sacrifice for sin. He has been highly exalted, and God has given him the name that is above every name, as Philippians 2 says. The other names of history, Buddha, Muhammad, Gandhi, Confucius, Krishna, Joseph Smith, whoever it may be, are nothing, nothing compared to to Jesus Christ and the lights of glory of Jesus Christ. It is the name of Jesus that we preach to the ends of the earth because it is only his name that salvation is found. In Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, as Colossians 2 verse 9 says. As the word of God, Jesus is the fullest possible revelation from God to man. God can never have spoken any more plainly than through Jesus. So, why is John the Baptist so humbled by just untying the shoes of Jesus? Why is it later next week where Jesus comes to John and John says to Jesus, I am unworthy of baptizing you? It's because he understands who Jesus is. As Psalm 86 says, There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name, for you are great and do marvelous things. You alone are God. Or in Psalm 136, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord, God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spreads out the earth above the waters, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights, for his steadfast love endures forever. Or just like the song says, John understood this. Come all you unfaithful, come weak and unstable. Come, no, you are not alone. Come, oh come, barren and waiting ones, weary of praying. Come and see what your God has done. Christ is born. Christ is born, Christ is born to you. Oh come, bitter and broken, come with fears unspoken. Come, taste of his perfect love. Come guilty and hiding ones. There is no need to run. See what your God 
has done. He is the lamb who was slain, who was given slain for our pardon. His promise is peace for those who believe. He's the lamb who has given slain for our pardon. So come. John understood who he was in light of what God has done for him. That gave him the boldness to do his mission. But even in that mission, he understood his unworthiness because of what Christ has done for him. Think of who Jesus is. Why does John think of himself as undeserving? Just think about who Jesus is. Think about what he has come to do, that Christ... The one who John here is pointing to died for your sins and he rose again. The God that we sing about who's done great and marvelous things is the God who steps down from his throne. He adds to himself humanity and then he pays the price for your sin, a price that you could not pay so that you could have a relationship with him. Christ died for our sins And not only did he die, but he rose again, which gives us hope, which gives us the hope that we talk about here in communion. One day, we will all, for those of all of us who trust in the name of Jesus Christ, will be in the house of Zion, and we will sing forever of all the great and marvelous things God has done for us. There will be no more weeping, there will be joy. See, John understood how that he was undeserving, uh, and, and he, he wants people to understand who Jesus is. If you have come to Jesus as your Savior, as your, your Lord and Savior, and if you are just starting to understand biblical doctrine, don't let what you don't know keep you from witnessing about what you do know. One of the greatest mistakes in the church is that we come along and we put people in a whole bunch of classes and teach them how to tell people about Jesus. If you ever want to see someone evangelize, ask them what they got for Christmas. Right? Ask a kid, what do you get for Christmas? I was reminded the other day that I'm an I'm a Apple fan, right? I've been indoctrinated with evangelism just by doing that. We all know how to. Don't let what you don't know keep you from doing witnessing about what you do know. You should press on to a better doctrinal understanding of Jesus and the gospel because, yes, that will, that will sharpen your sense. It will awaken your wonder more and more. This is a valuable and very important. But as the Lord gives you opportunity, tell people whatever you are, whatever you have personally learned about Jesus already, tell them. So what, you may ask? In Jesus, you have an identity that sends you out to make much of Jesus. Did you know, do you know what your life is for? Do you know what your purpose is? If you can't answer those questions, come and talk to me. Come and talk to Pastor Matt or anybody that you've seen up on the stage or, or, or fellow shepherds who, were, who read or the person that you came with. Talk to them. In Christ. And only in Christ, 
You are loved, forgiven, and secure. In Christ, you are adopted, justified, redeemed, reconciled, and chosen. In Christ, we are victorious, filled with joy and peace, and granted true meaning in life. But none of this has to do with you. But what an amazing Savior we have. How magnificent. And let us point to the one who is the light of the world who gives us these things. And if you haven't repented and believed that Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose again, you don't have any of this. So I encourage you today, don't leave this place without talking to someone about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I urge you deeply from the bottom of my heart, because as I was reading those articles, my heart was breaking. And it should break yours. We live in a broken world. And Jesus is the answer. He's not just the reason for the season. He's the reason for everything. I urge you, be reconciled to God. If you are in Christ, you have a new identity, a new one. It's like you've been overwritten. Your old one has been thrown around. It's been put into the garbage bin on your computer and then erased. Formatted, whatever You've been given a new identity that is only found in him, but it also gives you a mission. Because if I reflect upon Jesus, and I reflect more and more about who he is and what he has done for me, about all the great and marvelous things he has done for me, because the list goes on and on and on, why would that not push me out? Why would I not want to tell other people about who he is? and what he has done for me. I was praying in our pre-service prayer. I understand that 2020 seems like a dumpster fire of a year. I get it. God is still good. And so often, if you grew up in the church like me, we read the Bible stories, and we grew up with the Bible stories of Israel in the Old Testament and how they whine and complain all the time because they forgot what? That God freed them from slavery. God has freed you from slavery. You are free indeed. If you are in Christ, you have an identity that is only found in him, but it gives you a mission. May we know and be witnesses in whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. May we pray constantly that may our circumstances not necessarily change, but God change my perspective to you. May, we, may I point, may you point to him who is able to forgive, who gives peace and security and redemption and reconciliation and victory and true meaning. In Jesus, you have in a, a new identity, but that identity sends you out to declare to this very dark world how desperately we need, the desperately needed Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Father God, I just thank you for who you are. I thank you that we have the chance to reflect upon who you are. And Lord, we see how John the Baptist was able to answer those questions of who he is and what his mission is. And God, you have given us those answers as well. God, in Christ, we have so much. God, because you have given us so much, you've also given us a task to go and be disciples and make disciples of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that every day we would reflect upon your faithfulness. 
Forgive us when we forget. And may we be shining light, Lord, because as we will sing, you are worthy. Amen.